You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Today's episode of the Live Different Podcast is sponsored by Under 30 Experiences, our travel company for young people. We take groups of 21 to 35-year-olds on awesome adventures all across the world. Um, We have trips to Brazil, Machu Picchu, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Belize. Um, We go deep into the rainforest. We go up to Iceland, to the glaciers and the volcanoes, Ireland, um, Bali, all, all sorts of different places across the world with awesome groups of young people. If you're sick and tired of sitting at home, sitting in front of your desk, waiting for your coworkers to stop going to the boring happy hour after work and drinking their lives away, and you're tired of all of your friends doing boring things at home, probably going to the same bar and doing the same old shit, Come on Under 30 Experiences. This is a great commercial. Really like this one. There, It's a candid community. Um, and we go and have a really good time. And uh, there's no egos, divas, or complainers allowed. So check out under30experiences.com and come travel with us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different podcast. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Carrie Rich, who is the CEO of the Global Good Fund, and my friend who I got the amazing opportunity to spend five days in Nicaragua with. Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for the opportunity, Matt. Of course, of course. Um, we were talking off camera about uh, about who really you are, and I said, well, I need to introduce you, of course, as the CEO of the Global Good Fund and that you write for the Huffington Post and, you know, all these important things. Uh, and then you said you said something interesting, which was, uh, yeah, and I'm a friend. And in your bio, right, it says right. you occasionally go jogging and some other important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in addition to my professional life, I like to, I'm a volunteer. So I volunteer with community organizations and businesses globally that want to do good for the world, whether they're focusing on education or the elderly. doesn't matter to me as long as there's social impact involved. And I mentioned to you that uh, since we spent time together in Nicaragua uh, as part of under 30 experiences, I've gotten married. I'm seven months pregnant with our first child. So uh, I guess you can add mother and wife and friend and global citizen to uh to the description. Wow. Wow. That is, uh, that was a year, not even a year and a half ago. That was maybe 15 months ago. So a lot has, uh, a lot happened. Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Gotta keep things moving. Yeah, for sure. Don't, don't waste any time over there. <laughs> no. What I, I guess I want to ask you, how is that? I mean, so the podcast is called live different. How, how has all of those things that have happened to you, um, fit in the last 15 months, how has that changed your life? Because when I when I talked to you about coming to Nicaragua, you were on your way from Bosnia, I think, and you have a you you have or had a very uh, very tough travel schedule and uh, tough, right? You got to see all these amazing places in the mm-hmm. world, but stri- mm-hmm. but strenuous. And now you're seven months pregnant. Yet you said you just got back to, from Africa. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So. You know, the truth is that travel is really important to me and it's part of who I am. And, you know, I think you can relate to that and I'm sure the audience can. And when it's part of who you are at your core, you make make it a priority. And so for me, I just got back from Africa just over a week ago and I was in Ethiopia and Kenya for work. And I had this amazing opportunity to do a site visit with an entrepreneur who runs a company called WizKids Workshop that uses television and radio. They're now reaching 20 million kids across Ethiopia. Um, And that what they're doing is using fun puppets to talk about topics that people are not socially acceptable to talk about. So topics like malaria or HIV AIDS or what it means to be an orphan. And from Ethiopia, I was actually supposed to go to Burundi. And the morning I was supposed to leave, the airport shut down for the coup that happened. And so most people, you know, you're, you're six months pregnant, you're, you're not going for, you know, 
a tour around Africa. But for me, it's part of who I am, and I want my child to be exposed to that. And so the next place I went was Kenya, and that was to teach a course on fundraising for social impact through the Amani Institute. And I had the great pleasure while I was there of having a conversation with one of the participants in the course, whose name is Nelson. And he approached me and he said, you know, in my tribe, I'm part of the Maasai tribe. And as part of my tribe, we have a beautiful tradition. It's a ceremony to bless the mother and baby. And I, my eyes lit up and I said, this is so amazing. I would love to come visit the tribe and be part of the ceremony. And he sort of looked at me and said, you know, we've never had an outsider do the ceremony, but I think it would be so well received by the community. So two days later, three Maasai warriors picked me up and we drove six hours on a lovely bumpy road to the middle of the Maasai Mara, which is breathtaking sweeps of land with uh, not a ton else there. And I went and saw the animals and saw the way people lived. And then the next morning was standing in the middle of a field surrounded by cow dung huts. And from every direction, these brightly colored, beautiful women came from all directions. They had the traditional colorful beading up their necks and the hanging earlobes with the beautiful adornments and very colorful clothing. And they, they started walking. They'd been walking four hours to come participate in the ceremony. And they came from all directions and they were laughing and singing and chanting and beating and came and we all sat together in a little circle and from started carving from wood beads to make a necklace for the baby and bracelets. And it was fascinating. This, these bracelets were a certain number of beads so you could count how much the baby was growing. They're for the baby to wear. And there was a special necklace for me to wear that we all blessed and you know chanted and sang. It was really quite beautiful. And then partway into the ceremony, Nelson told me it's time to go into the cow dung hut. And I said, I don't, I'm not so sure about this. You know, I hope you'll come and translate what's going on. And he said, well, it's really for the women. And I said, okay, but I'm not so, you know, it's nerve wracking to go to a place where you don't, can't speak the language and you don't know what's going to happen. And I really would hope you'd come with me. And so he came and documented the whole thing. And I met with the midwife and she checked the position of the baby and they rubbed different oils on my belly and chanted and sang and blessed. And then she looked at me very seriously and said, Carrie, you really need to stop eating. And which was translated to me. And I said, stop eating. What do you mean stop eating? And they told me, they said, you know, when you go to deliver the baby while you're squatting in the field, it's going to be very hard to deliver if you keep eating the way you're eating. (laughs) And I said, oh, thank you. This is an example of a cultural difference. I said, you know, I'm hopefully going to be safely delivering in a hospital uh, where I'm from. And um, of course, on the way back, I continued to snack on some food and Nelson turned to me and said, you know, you're very stubborn. You're not listening to, to the effects. <laughs> so it was just an amazing opportunity to experience another culture. And, you know, I, the baby has a Maasai name now, uh, Oloserion, meaning the blessed one. And I can't wait to be able to tell my child about the experience of taking him to Africa before he was born. And, you know, some people would say that's crazy. And I respect that. And, you know, to live life a little bit differently sometimes means making choices and taking chances that other people would describe describe as crazy, but to me seem like the right thing to do. Wow, Gary, that is uh, that is pretty that is pretty amazing. I have a million questions and thoughts <laughs> running through my mind. Um, first of all, that's amazing. Second, second of all, I guess the maybe one of the more obvious questions uh, would be. Were you scared, and how did you get past that fear? Most people, you know, most people after Ebola just marked a big X through Africa, and I know that you were nowhere near uh, the area where the out- Ebola outbreaks were, but how did you get past that, that fear of going to Africa as a pregnant woman, let alone going in a, a cow dung hut <laughs> with, the, uh, you know, people that you didn't know? How did you get past that? Because you know, you, your, your health and the health of the baby must have been your number one concern. 
Right. And, you know, I think the reality is when you take risks, and this is true for anyone, when you take risks, a lot of people look at the risk without necessarily fully considering the missed opportunity. And for me, the opportunity that came from going on this trip seemed so much more to out, you know, out, totally outweighed the risk. And so what I did was I went to a special doctor ahead of time. And for me, the scariest part was, you know, you have to, it means getting on a plane. And it means traveling internationally, which is going, you know, it's going to be a little uncomfortable and, you know, you have to get vaccinations and it's going to be a little different this time because you're pregnant and that's just part of the inherent risk. And so for me, it was just being upfront and intentional and explicit about saying, yeah, I recognize there are risks and I'm okay with what their risks are because I think the reward and opportunity would be so it would be such a disappointment to miss that opportunity from for the baby and for the world to, to learn about the world and, and be able to bring that view to life in another part of the world in America down the road. Wow, and that's a, it, it's a fascinating, I guess, dichotomy, you would say, between being, you know, here in the Western world and uh, going to get vaccinated, which a lot of people would really be nervous about with mm -hmm. a baby, because as far as I understand, and vaccination is a big topic these days, but you're putting, um, in a lot of cases, you're putting kind of dead, basically these dead or, or sometimes living um, cells of whatever right. pathogen uh, into your body. And, you know, that's scary with the, with the baby there and then there's the flip side of it is where you're actually going and getting blessed and being examined <laughs> by this do, by this doctor in a cow dung hut um, who has a completely different set of values and way that he he or she looks at health um, yeah that is that is fascinating yeah and you know Matt the thing is it's as long as I felt like I was taking the necessary precautions Cautions, right? I went to a special doctor that gives vaccinations for pregnant women, okay. and I made sure there was an OB in every city that I was visiting so that if anything went wrong, you know, I had a plan B. And I made sure I was registered and that the phone worked. And there were, there were you know, plan Bs that I, and Cs and Ds that I put in place so that if anything went wrong, because there's always a risk, that I thought, you know, this won't jeopardize the life of my child. No, that's that. That's amazing, and um, I'm sure. Well, because I know you, and I know what type of work that you do, I'm sure that all those things were were in place. <laughs> but you know, you have to ask that question because it will it will help our listeners just think of okay, some some people out there are afraid to leave their own city, you know, let alone you know get go and they have to maybe drive somewhere to get their passport, or then they have to exit the country as you know just a regular person who's not pregnant and not going to Africa you know maybe they just want to go to Mexico right. or right. but um, it, it's amazing what I find inspiring about the whole thing is that you're going and you're talking about the uh, opportunity that you can provide your child to be born with uh, with these blessings and with these experiences even though he's still in your belly mm -hmm. um, he can be born with that already and he has that story to tell and he can then um, you know he and, and he has that story to tell and you're here on a podcast that hopefully a bunch of people are going to listen to and the, your, your message is going to be accelerated because you went to Africa and you were doing really important and impactful work over there. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a really commendable thing that, that you, just, you just went through, and uh, it, it's really inspiring to me. Okay, commendable or crazy? Both, One both. and that's uh, <laughs> that's sometimes what it's all about. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do? Because you mentioned volunteering. Well, you yes. also are the CEO of what I'm pretty sure is a 501c3 nonprofit yes. with the Global Good Fund, and you have this fellowship program and all these amazing things uh, and projects all over the world uh, going on to make the world a better place. So can you tell us a little bit more about it? Absolutely. I would love to. So the Global Good Fund is a three-year-old nonprofit organization 
that was founded by and for socially oriented entrepreneurs. So these are entrepreneurs who care about using business for social impact. And the reason we're focused on this mission is that we believe leadership is the most effective vehicle for addressing society's most complex social challenges and ultimately achieving global good, which is where the Global Good Fund name comes from. And one of the ways we do that is through a 15-month fellowship program where we invest in socially oriented entrepreneurs in their place of work. So for 15 months, we provide a curated leadership development experience that has everything from baseline assessments to up to $10,000 of leadership development funding to be used to implement a personal leadership development plan and one-on-one -on -one coaching from executives ranging from venture capitalists to CEOs of multi-billion dollar health companies, presidents of universities, CEOs of banks, people who have a lot of experience and can work with emerging entrepreneurs to help focus passion and work ethic to make a difference in the world. So our entrepreneurs to date have been roughly between the ages of 20 and 40. They have already taken a dive out of the airplane and started building a parachute on the way down, meaning they have an enterprise that exists, whether it's a nonprofit with a revenue stream or a for-profit enterprise that exists to tackle a social challenge. And they're at a critical inflection point. So sometimes that means they're two years in and they've piloted a marketplace opportunity and it's worked and they're ready to now go to market and scale. Or they're four or five years in and their business has been working effectively and their inflection point now is a scaling opportunity, either to go into other regions of the world or perhaps different countries or go more deeply into a local community. And the Global Good Fund supports with leadership development as the vehicle for enterprise growth and social impact. Wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, you had said a couple really interesting things, and I want to hear more about specific projects, of course, but you said dive out of an out. These fellows yeah. have uh, dove in, if that's the right tense to use, have dived out of an airplane, sorry that I can't speak English, and built a parachute on the way down. Yes. It, can you talk about the importance of that just for the listener who is sitting there trying to say, man, I have this project idea and I really want to go after it, but I am afraid to take the first step or I want to quit my job and do X, Y, and Z, or they're just hesitating before they can get all their ducks in a row to be able to make sure that the opportunity is perfect, but the timing is never perfect. You just went to Africa with being six months right, pregnant. Right. That timing is not perfect, but you built the parachute on your way down and ended up in a dung hut. Can you tell our, our listeners how to do that? Yeah. Well, so, you know, I think it's a little different for every person, but the, the big picture that I think resonates with most people is that there are many times when working in the social impact sector feels thankless or feels exhausting or like it's never going to end because the, the problems that we're choosing to tackle are vast. And there's many, many complications. Um, the issues are complex and the problems seem limitless. And these are problems like poverty or disease, access to quality education, et cetera. And so it's hard to imagine a true solution. It can be really overwhelming. And a lot of times, you know, we're afraid of putting a Band-Aid on uh, a problem rather than really fixing it. And so for me, um, success in this area, which we can talk about what that looks like, but success in the social impact sector is possible because one person decided to try to make something happen and reached out across barriers, whether they're uh, religious or racial or different nationalities, flawed assumptions, whatever they may be, and the spirit of openness, and they they turn their vision into reality. And it starts with taking the first step. And sometimes that first step is just putting one foot in front of the other, literally. And sometimes the first step is literally diving out of the airplane. Uh, but either way, the importance is to take a first step. And it doesn't have to look like a large, powerful organization or awards or trophies um, or even, you know, metrics documenting improvements. But the, the point is that we're continually 
evolving as individuals and changing and growing and bringing better lives to people, both across the globe and around the corner. And so that's all built one leader, one step at a time, in my opinion. Damn, they have dove out of the airplane. (laughs) Dove was the word that I was looking for. Um, And and you also mentioned developing a personal leadership development plan. Right. And if you are a young leader out there, or maybe you don't even consider yourself a leader at this moment, even though every individual can, has the immense opportunity to be a leader, even if it's just leave it, leading by example. And, and I don't mean even, I don't mean to uh, diminish the value of that, because sometimes that's what the world really means is people to go out and live this, how can someone develop their own personal leadership development plan? Yeah, so I think the first thing is taking a step back and reflecting. And that's one of the reasons I I appreciate traveling so much, uh, because it often provides that opportunity. But in some cases, that's not possible, just to take a step back and think and reflect. And there are little ways to do that, like just going for a walk for 10 minutes. You know, that's one of the ways that I start to reflect in my own life and day. Um, But through the Global Good Fund, what we do is we provide a pretty structured approach. And the first step is we provide a leadership assessment. And what that tells us is where the individual stands from a leadership development standpoint. What are the opportunities for growth? What are the existing strengths? And it gives us a baseline, some way to say, well, there's an opportunity to grow from here. And then the next step that we do is we pair every emerging leader with a one-on-one executive coach. And that person helps the leader interpret the results of his or her assessment and craft a personalized leadership development plan based on those results. And what that could mean is something like, well, I'm getting ready to launch a business or I have an existing company or I'm part of an organization where I have a sense of where this business is headed, but I'm not sure what I personally need to do to take the business to the next level. And so it's translating how the business grows into personal goals that I can set for myself and have a partner to hold me accountable to long term. That's a leadership development plan. Okay, excellent. So a lot, would you say a big part of that is going out and finding a mentor? Because a lot of times that's something that uh, I get asked a lot, how do you find a mentor? Or I struggle with because I don't often, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of people I say, oh, that person is a mentor of mine, point blank. A lot of times it's a friend or someone who I have the opportunity to spend time with who does give me a lot of advice, or who I can bounce ideas off of. Um, But people are intimidated very often by this word mentor. Could you shed some light on that? Sure. So I think mentor can be anyone, it can be anyone, period. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the CEO of a really successful business. And I think sometimes that's what can be intimidating, is we think a mentor needs to be a certain type of person. But for me, you know, one of the greatest mentors has been a cab driver, and he mentored me about the significance of relationships. Um, There's been other people who have mentored me who um, I didn't go up to them and say, would you be my mentor? It was more of following up with them when I had questions. And most people are flattered to be asked for their advice. You know, and as long as it's done in a respectful way that demonstrates that you value that person's time and opinion and perspective, to me, uh, that's the way to start a mentoring relationship, to ask for perspective and to demonstrate gratitude and humility that you actually, you're asking for that perspective because you want to grow from it and incorporate it in your own life. That's really cool. And um, I mentioned that, you know, oftentimes the whole thing about mentorship can be intimidating and right. you said that you can just meet any you know anybody can be your mentor the cab driver can be your mentor anybody who changes your perspective can be your mentor but you're also not afraid to step up to the plate and really ask uh, the big name big name people to be mentors or to participate in the global good fund or take an active role and make a time commitment or a financial investment 
I looked at your board of directors today, Carrie, and it's unbelievable. I mean, the first person on your website is Muhammad Yunus, who is a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, how, how do you step up to the plate and just make those asks? Well, I'd love to tell you the story about Professor Eunice, and I think in bigger picture, uh, the reality is what we're seeing is Global Good Fund really targets uh, baby boomers who have business experience. So we're looking at about 29% of the baby boomer population volunteers. That's a a known statistic. And uh, what we do is within that baby boomer volunteer population, we target people who have exceptional business talents and financial resources that they're looking to deploy. And what we do is provide a really structured, meaningful opportunity for executives to translate professional success into social significance. So what that means is many people look to engage in a volunteer capacity, but they don't, especially at an executive level, they don't necessarily have the time They really need a high-quality touch point. And so the Global Good Fund provides a platform for them to engage in a very meaningful, structured relationship with an emerging social entrepreneur. And the reason we feel comfortable asking is because, you know, kind of it takes one. That's what we talked about earlier. It takes one person to take a step or dive out of the plane. And once we had one person, it became easier to attract the next executive who is willing to serve in a mentoring capacity to emerging young leader. For Professor Eunice, uh, it's a funny story. I used to work for the current co-founder of the Global Good Fund. And he had an opportunity to meet Professor Eunice and didn't know who he was. So he wasn't going to go to the meeting. And I said, what do you mean you're not going? This guy is a Nobel laureate. You have to go. This is an amazing, incredible man. We have to go. In fact, I'd like to come with you. I'd like to go too. So I proceeded to join for this meeting. And he, Professor Eunice said, he made the mistake of saying, uh, you know, you should come to Bangladesh and see what we do on the ground. <laughs> and so I took him up on that and showed up in Bangladesh and explained to him that here's what the Global Good Fund is all about. And I traveled halfway around the world to ask you if you would join our board. It won't be, you know, make we'll make it easy for you to participate. And what we really want is your perspective and credibility and as a vehicle for you to translate your success into social significance for the next generation. And what we try to do is make it really easy for people to make a difference. And I think that's part of asking folks to mentor who are executives is we make it easy for them to be part of something greater than themselves. Okay, so if you were the listener and you were probably saying in my head, in their head, well, I'm not a CEO like Carrie. I can't just fly to Bangladesh, and I don't just happen to have opportunities with Nobel laureates every day. How do I make it really easy for someone to come into my life or ask someone to be able to spend their time helping them out Um, let's just say that like how do you ask just for a cup of coffee or how do you get a good email response or who would be a good target to help uh, to help you out with whatever you need in in life in general sure so I think the first thing before even asking for that cup of coffee is to invest in yourself so for me it's been really important both from a time and financial standpoint that I invest in myself because I shouldn't expect anyone else to invest in me if I'm not willing to invest in myself. What that looks like in my case is I try to commit to one leadership development opportunity a year where I'm investing money and time in my own personal development. So before I go to reach out to anyone else to help me grow, and ask for their help in doing so, I can honestly say to them, look, I'm making a commitment in growing myself. Will you help me take that that growth to the next level? So it's acknowledging... This is is so cool. I'm so happy that you went this route. Carrie, go go ahead. So it's acknowledging, you know, how how imperfect I am and all the opportunities for growth uh, and, and also saying, I really want to grow and I'm invested in growing myself. Will you help me? And, you know, it's pretty simple after that. You know, you said, 
do you ask people for a cup of coffee? And the answer is yes. You know, it's, could I have your gift? Would you share your gift of time with me over a cup of coffee? I'd love to learn from your perspective. And most people will be flattered that you asked. I love it. And this is such an important concept. And it's one that I think about every single day is every time you go to make a decision, there's the, it's the concept of investing time and investing money versus spending time and spending money. And if you have right. the ability to invest in yourself, whether that's time, which is our most finite resource, or it's money, which uh, sometimes isn't far behind the time, isn't far right. behind uh, time in, in its, um, you know, in, in the amount available at the current moment to us. That's what's so important. And if you can't take care of yourself, then how are you going to help uh, have someone else help you? Or how are you going to be able to help others? And so that's like a, that is a huge concept in all of Live Different. This, this methodology is that you, know, you need to work on yourself every single day so that you can then go out and help other people, or you can then go out and hope that other people um, you know, will be able to help you, but nobody's gonna save you, nobody's, going, nobody's right. gonna come and do the work for you. And when you start to spend time reading books and listening to podcasts and uh, getting phys- physical ex- exercise, exercising your brain and your, your, uh, your everything involved um, with your mind, that is when then your mentors just start to kind of come around. If you are always, you know, if you're always reading books and, and um, reading blogs and listening to podcasts and doing all of these things, or you're always going to the gym, you're going to start to bump into people who are going to offer to help you. And, you know, if you're in the gym all the time, well, then, yeah, there's gonna, you're surrounding yourself with other people. If you're going to leadership development courses, you're surrounding yourself with other people who have, uh, who have the ability, who've done this work themselves, and they might, you know, because they're fulfilled, right, because they have done it before, they're more than happy to help other people with this, with this kind of thing. Absolutely, and I think the other point, Matt, is it's important to make the mentor look good and feel good. And I think a lot of times there's this myth that the the purpose of a mentoring relationship is to make me look good or make you look good. And that's not it. You know, a mentor makes an investment in their mentee. And as a result, there's an obligation on the behalf of the mentee to demonstrate that there's personal development and growth. And part of that means keeping the mentor abreast of developments that are happening both personally and professionally and crediting them as appropriate with helping get you to that point. So, you know, for instance, if I try to write an article, I do so in a way that attempts to highlight how a mentor has really helped me take my professional development to the next level and give credit where it's due. So again, just emphasizing that it's not about making you look good, it's about making your mentor look good. And for me at least, when I've focused on investing in myself and really being coachable in terms of taking feedback, whether I like what I'm hearing or not, and making the mentor look good as a result of the contributions they've made to my personal development, that seems to be a good recipe. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, thank you again for for going down this path. And one of the biggest things about becoming a mentor or becoming a teacher is you're taking all of your life experience and being able to pay it forward, but by doing that, you are mastering the material. Teaching is the best form of mastery, in my opinion, because you have to go and explain and articulate and, and dissect and reverse engineer the steps that got you to where you are to be able to teach this. And you want to be able to help someone along a lot faster than you struggled through whatever the material is. And this doesn't have to mean this doesn't have to mean uh, some big fancy 
pra practice like start or a big fancy thing like starting a global enterprise, this could be as easy as mentoring a fourth grader with reading. Well, then you're going to start to think a lot more about how you read or, or with your math. Well, that's going to keep your brain a little bit sharper, working on your, your basics of, of calculus or algebra or something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that you, that, that you went down this path because that's, it just seems like that's what you're trying to do here in general is um, encourage young people to team up with older folks who have the experience, who might mm -hmm. have the financial backing um, or, or the connections or whatever it is to be able to change the world. And um, yeah, I, I think it's just yeah, such a cool, such a cool thing that, that you're doing. And um, I wanted to ask you, you know, when these two generations team up, when the baby boomers team up with the millennials, what we talked about off camera is, yes, uh, things like blogging and podcasting and social media are not things that come so easy to baby boomers, not all of them. Um, and to be able, for us to be able to use this technology to accelerate their knowledge and what they can be able to do and put their financial backing behind some of these projects or go to the developing world and be able to do this where people don't have access to these types of um, things or, or the the or have the knowledge on how to do that that can be really really powerful would you agree absolutely and i think this combination of a young aspiring passionate driven entrepreneur with a successful, experienced business leader can be an incredible catalyst for growth and social good, both globally and around the corner. Um, I think the other piece of it is we, ha we have to do our best as the emerging entrepreneurs to make it easy for people to make a contribution that's meaningful for our lives. And I think the more we express appreciation and gratitude and demonstrate why it's having impact, that goes a long way. So I would say to that point, Matt, I think I'm not mistaken here, you've actually written about uh, finances and how that plays into being able to travel. And in my experience, you know, I find it a lot harder to teach actually than I, I thought being a student was hard. <laughs> and I find it very difficult to teach. Uh, one of my favorite topics to teach about is a life plan and person, and particularly a financial life plan that enables each individual to live out their aspirations. And for me, when I say, you know, invest in yourself, it's, it's not just time, it's, it's financial as well. And if you're expecting other people to invest financially in you or with their time, it can be really meaningful to have an explicit plan for what that looks like and to really think about it and reflect that for the next couple of years, or, or maybe longer, depending on where you want to start from, here's what, here's what it looks like to reflect, and here's what it looks like to invest in myself. And whether that means traveling or taking a course or reading, here's what the cost of that is, both in terms of time and financially, and from a financial perspective. And to be able to bring that to the table and say, listen, I'm serious about this. I'm being explicit and intentional, and here's what I'm thinking about. That gives some uh, an, a mentor something concrete and tangible to react to in a way that demonstrates you've really thought about this. No, that's that's really important. Um, Carrie, I wanted to ask you, you've brought up the topic of gratitude a few times, and could you just elaborate for someone who might think that this is maybe a, a thing that you only do on Thanksgiving or, <laughs> you know, is because, and sometimes it can sound a little fluffy, oh, you have to ex express gratitude for everything in your life, and it sounds like we're at a yoga studio, but could, could you talk about the importance in, in the business world and then also the importance in just living a fulfilled life and, and being able to go to a place uh, and forget forget Africa for the moment, to be able to step outside into your backyard and look around and be appreciative of things in your life because it dramatically increases the quality of your life. Absolutely. So you know, I think the basic premise is as much as we can not to take things for granted. And I remember, Matt, when we were on our trip in Nicaragua, 
and we had a peer on the trip who was about to become a father and the baby passed away. And I remember how excited he was, how excited everyone else was. And I have friends, he's not the only friend this year who's had a baby who's had either terrible disease or loss of life. And so for me on a very personal level, you know, I have this life growing in me and that seems like the most empowering thing that could possibly be. And yet to not take that for granted is it's hard. And so to express gratitude that I get to sit through a three hour doctor appointment, because in some parts of the world, there's not access to healthcare like that, or to have a mentor or anyone for that matter, who's willing to share the gift of their time they're not getting that time back. And so every moment that someone is spending with you, focusing on you or helping you grow is a gift. And it really, it, there's, there's a cost on their end associated with taking the time to connect with you or with me. Um, so acknowledge, I think the first thing is just acknowledging that and being grateful, meaning saying thank you and expressing acknowledgement that they're making a sacrifice to spend time with you. And at the end of the day, time often turns into money. Uh, and so the expectation from my end is that when we're connecting emerging young leaders with executives, they're making both a time commitment and oftentimes it turns into a financial commitment. And that comes with having the humility to express gratitude over time. No, that's, that's really cool, and it's a, an extremely powerful practice, but it's, again, it's going to increase your quality of life when you can be sitting in a crowded doctor's office, and they're not the most fun places to be, and that you can actually look at the situation and say, wow, yeah, I could be having to squat in a field and have to go on a diet before that. And <laughs> Come in full circle. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, those experiences traveling all over the world have, have changed you, but you can, you can, you know, again, you don't have to go to Africa to be able to have that life-changing perspective. It's, to me, it's a day-by-day practice that you're able to remind yourself, oh yeah, I need to be grateful for this. Oh yeah, before I eat my plate of food that we're so lucky to be able to have, um, that I should say thank you, you know, and, and however, whatever that means to you, or at least remember to taste it, at least remember to breathe while you're inhaling it. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be like, this thing that that you only do on Thanksgiving or something that you need to go to Africa to be able to find. Um, so absolutely, Carrie, and that, I, yeah, I, I appreciate I that. I I, I uh, am very grateful that you brought this up. Absolutely. I mean, when I listen to the radio each morning, I listen on the way into work, and I think, gosh, this is so depressing hearing what's going on on the news. And it's just, I, I'm very grateful I get to spend my day building a world of global good. That, you know, that to me, the fact that I get to go to work each day is a real gift. That, that's really powerful. And, and can you give us maybe a success story uh, from the Global Good Fund or just someone, and, and maybe not even, it can be someone who has been invested in by the Global Good Fund, but someone who has dove out of the airplane, built their parachute on the way down, and they were just some kid in the middle of nowhere who decided that they wanted to make an impact, because I think it will inspire people to, who are listening right now. Sure. So talk about meeting people in, in random situations. I was in the middle of a train station and was speaking to someone who was talking very loudly, and the person next to us couldn't help but overhear the conversation and started laughing. <laughs> and I started, I noticed this individual was wearing a shirt on it, that t-shirt that said Charity Miles. And I asked him, what is Charity Miles? And he said, it's a six month old business that I started because I wanted to raise money for charity by running marathons. And he's now run, Gene, has now run 43 marathons and never once 
come in placing, has never once placed in the top cohort of runners that would ever get him a corporate sponsorship for charity. So what he decided was to create a phone app that you can all download for free. It's called Charity Mile. And when you download the app for every mile you exercise, whether you bike, walk, run, etc., a corporate sponsor allows you to donate their money to a charity of your choosing using the Charity Miles app. And when we found Gene, he'd raised $46,000 total for charity. In the past three months, excuse me, three quarters alone, he's raised over a million dollars for charity through other people exercising, being healthy, reflecting, and making a difference in the world while doing it by raising money for charity. So that's an example of an entrepreneur for social impact who the Global Good Fund has supported who, you know, his story was he wasn't a national champion or world champion at running marathons, but how do you engage a large number of people in making a difference? And you can do it, for example, through Charity Miles. Damn, that's that's really cool. I, I've always wanted to ask you, Carrie, and um, it's a little bit of a, a touchy subject as far as development of development of the developing world and how that how we can go and quote unquote help and how uh, really the, the whole topic of the white man's burden where basically white people or Westerners will go to a place like Africa and say, oh my God, these people don't have shoes. Uh, I'm gonna take my shoes off and give them to you and you know, then I'm going to pat myself on the back about it. And while that actually didn't address the root of the problem or walk into a place and say, oh my God, these people need the internet. What is wrong with you people? You guys still live in tribes. Uh, mm -hmm. Here's the internet, take it and, and run with it. While that has a lot of unintended consequences and it's something that we look at very carefully with under 30 experiences. For example, you came on our trip to Nicaragua and we try to do some type of social good in any place that we go, but oftentimes it, it, it starts with a cultural exchange and it starts with how can we learn from the people of this place in their culture and, and their culture and how can, what can we learn about one another, one another and how can both parties benefit? Um, and that's where we start, but I wanted to get your opinion on, um, uh, on this whole topic. Sure, so Matt, I think you're bringing up some pretty epic problems. Uh, and the question for me is, you know, what does success look like in addressing these challenges? And so to me, success is a world where people have gained deeper understanding and appreciation of the problems faced by their peers halfway around the planet. And we've learned to care about those problems and perhaps even potentially contribute to the solution. So I think the first level is gain a deeper understanding and an appreciation for problems that are occurring around the corner and across the planet. I think the second piece, which is where the Global Good Fund tries to play a role, is investing in people locally and using support structures to support them on the front line. And what that means is not pulling people from Africa and bringing them to the U.S. and filling them up with knowledge and sending people back and thinking we've addressed any problem because we haven't. The point is to invest in people who are the key leverage points in society. And sometimes that means supporting women entrepreneurs who otherwise don't have the visibility or the platform to be a model for other women who could emerge as entrepreneurs and make an impact in their local communities and society. And sometimes it means investing in leaders who are supporting job opportunity, create, creating job opportunities for underserved communities. And it means doing so in a way that's local. So specifically, it means not removing people who are making a difference from their environment, but rather investing in them in place and providing an approach that couples both human capital and financial capital in local solutions. So for the Global Good Fund, it's a combination of human capital, meaning executives from different parts of the world, not necessarily US-based, who provide insight into how to grow an individual leader as well as a business 
combined with targeted financial capital to grow the person who then in turn grows the enterprise and positively impacts society on the ground. That is, that, that's excellent. And I, I'm glad that you again touched on the theme around the corner and across the planet. So if you want to get involved at the local level, you know, in your hometown, you can go and, and gain a deeper understanding of the problems. But most people just turn a blind eye to it. And that's why our philosophy when we travel with under 30 experiences is let's get involved in the local community because most people just, most people go as, as tourists or as uh, resort patrons and they just sit there and drink Mai Tais and, you know, <laughs> watch the, watch the day go by. And, you know, th that's fine to, that's fine to some extent, but that's not travel. You know, you're not, you can do that in, you can do that in Florida, which by the way, has plenty of issues that need addressing. Uh, <laughs> and so you can go to, you know, you can go to these places and develop a deeper understanding. And that's, you know, that's what travel is supposed to be about. Um, but yes, it absolutely starts with that deeper understanding of the problem and then going and seeing what the local, what the local leaders and, and what the motivated people in this, in these little towns or villages or big, huge cities um, are facing and what type of resources that they could use. Um, and, and you identified those very clearly being human capital or being financial capital or, or the other things that you said. Um, how have you guys, have you heard of any any mistakes that have that? What are some of the mistakes that people make when they go into you know? You could tell me a, a horror story, not necessarily from from <laughs> you guys, but uh, sometimes when you just say, "What what is? Uh, how can this be done wrong?" Just so people can really under understand the, what we're talking sure, about here. Sure. So let me first say I really appreciate the aspect of under thirty experiences that allows the participants to connect with social impact opportunities on the ground in the host country where the participants go and visit. That was very meaningful to me and it actually led to business opportunities for the Global Good Fund because we wanted to partner with entrepreneurs who were on the trip who cared about attending, you know, being part of a travel group that cared about social impact. So I would just point out that from an under 30 experiences standpoint, that was very meaningful to me personally and also to the enterprise that I lead. From a failure standpoint, uh, the truth is the Global Good Fund has many failures and that's led by yours truly personally. So um, I actually keep a running list every year of all of our failures. Ooh. And then we publish, <laughs> we publish our top three around Thanksgiving time to express transparency and gratitude to the community uh, for sticking with us reg regardless of and in spite of these, or perhaps because of these mistakes. Um, so, you know, a few of the mistakes we've made have involved cultural competence. So really making sure that when we pair local leaders and key leverage points at a local level with resources that they're culturally appropriate for the environment that they're culturally sensitive from a human capital development standpoint. So the nature of the person who's mentoring is appropriate for the nature and culture of the individual, perhaps in another part of the world, for instance. Or that the amount of financial resources invested is appropriate for the local cultural context. Um, in other examples, in terms of mistakes we've made, I can say from a very, uh, honest standpoint, we've made plenty of mistakes and we're constantly iterating. So for instance, um, what technology platforms we choose to use, our, our philosophy has been to get out, take a dive from the plane, build something and try it. And if it doesn't work, that's okay, but let's learn upfront and quickly what doesn't work and iterate our model from there so that we figure out what does. Damn, I, I really like the... Uh... <laughs> For lack of a better term, no, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna say what I wanted to say. I wanted to say I love the balls that it takes to publish, <laughs> uh, to publish that stuff. But I, I love um, 
I love that you're able to do that and learn from these and help other people learn from these. And you know, the thing, this is a, this is a huge topic that so many people have written about. And, um, but mate, the sad part is the people who are writing about it or ripping on other people in forums or on Facebook mm -hmm. or whatever, wherever these kind of things are published or in blog comments, those are generally the people who are just the internet trolls and only read stuff about read the, about this stuff in books or online and aren't actually making an attempt to do anything positive in the world. And so, yeah, we're not going to nail it the the right way. And and um, I, I love that. And this is a perfect opportunity to to point out that in a mentorship type relationship. Um, Hey, I, I, I'd like to I'd like to borrow that um, from you if, you, if you don't mind. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Because we screw right. up uh, just as much as anybody, but I love that you also express gratitude for everyone and, and to your team for sticking with you guys through those tough times and, and seeing what you can learn and, and paying those mistakes forward to uh, to other people. So, Carrie, that is, that, that is really cool. I wanted to, to ask you, you know, a lot of times. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, a lot of times people, when you share your challenges or failures or mistakes, you know, people offer to help be part of the solution. So there's, you know, you by sharing your mistakes and making ourselves vulnerable, we put ourselves out there to be helped. And people want to be helpful. They want to make a difference. And if we can be that platform, you know, it sets us up beautifully to fulfill our mission. Absolutely, being vulnerable. It, when you are vulnerable and when you are honest and when you can just have candid conversations, whether that's one-to-one -one or it's one-on-one -on -one like we're doing right now with many other people uh, listening, that goes a long way. People start to trust you and, you know, it's your, your uh, success, I guess, if you will, or, or what you're trying to do is not just built on smoke and mirrors or not just, hey, look what we did this one time when we nailed it. Okay, that's great, nice. but we know you're not getting it right every single time and to truly make a contribution, um, that's, yeah, that, that's a really big deal to have people trust you and um, for you to move forward in that way. So that's, that's great, Carrie. Thank, yeah, thank you for that. Sure. I, I wanted to, so I wanted to ask you for, for anybody who is listening, um, if someone who wants to take the first step in making the world a better place, what would it be? What piece of advice can you leave people with as, as we're starting to wrap up? Um, what can you tell them? So my opinion is that the first step to making the world a better place is to invest in yourself. And we, we covered this, but to say it's hard to make the world a better place if you're not willing to make yourself better and for anyone else to step on the bandwagon and join you in making the world a better place means they believe in you because you believe in yourself and so investing in yourself and continually growing is the first step in making the world a better place that is really cool no truer words have uh, have been <laughs> ever spoken gandhi will tell you himself <laughs> that is uh, that's excellent carrie and and people want to get involved in the Global Good Fund, if they want to become fellows, if they're a baby boomer looking to invest uh, time or money, or they just want to follow your project in general, where can they learn more about you? Well, you can check us out online at globalgoodfund.org. So again, it's globalgoodfund.org. And if you have any questions, just email me personally. My email is Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, Dot rich, R-I-C-H, at globalgoodfund.org. Carrie, this has been a blast. Uh, thank you so much for being on with us. Thanks again for the opportunity, Matt. Sounds good. X, Y, and Z. Um, if those are being met by our actions, then, then it's a lot easier to stick with. Yeah, and, and knowing yourself and asking yourself, what are my values? And maybe writing those down or maybe saying, okay, I have a decision to make. What, what's coming up in my subconscious or, or what makes me feel weird about eating meat or why do I hate going to the gym or just, to, you know, if you're trying to align your, your life and your lifestyle 
with your big, hairy, audacious goal and what's going to fuel you to get there, which is your health and your nutrition, um, then you're going to be able to say, okay, next time I go in to get a Whopper or two, well, that's going to be, you know, is that in alignment with what I want to, with what I'm trying to do here? Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe having that reward of eating fast food is something that, that is very important to you. And that's fine with me. Um, but uh, as long as you actually take a conscious look at what you're doing, because once it's out of your, you know, it, once it's, what's, once it's in your, Consciousness, right? Once you understand um, that this is or is not in alignment with who I am, then you're just not going to do it anymore. You're not going to, if you're not a Whopper person, then you're not going to be able to even force one down. It, it doesn't matter if that's not part of your core values. Absolutely. It moves from the subconscious mind to the, to the aware of the conscious mind. Um, and you're forced to reckon with that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've uh, you know, one of my um, kind of internal manifestos has always been uh, become to become a really, really good thinker. Uh, and because I know if I become a really good thinker, it's going to translate into becoming a good writer and a good speaker and a good just liver of life, right? Um, and so part of being a really good thinker is constantly asking yourself questions um, and constantly trying to peel back another layer because the more layers we can peel back, then you can get to that true, you know, that you hear the fluffy term, your, your true self, right? Um, but that it's, it's not a fluffy term uh, when you break it down. That true self is asking enough questions to get to the core of um, what is driving you. Uh, and what what makes you who you are for for sure and um and, and i appreciate that coming from you because you're someone who has gone through many different iterations of what that means and when i met you you had decided for that month you were going to try out a vegetarian lifestyle and you saw what it you know you saw the effects that it had and how it um you know, how your value shifted for that. And you were able to draw your own conclusions instead of just saying, oh, well, I read in a book, um, sure. you know, that this is what it's, that this is what it's supposed to, you know, that, that this is the reason everyone should be a vegetarian. So you just, you know, you didn't go into it blindly. You said, all right, well, this is, this is the amazing part about life is you get to try this stuff and, and figure out what, what does fall into my value system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Curiosity is critical. Yeah, and that's uh, that's how you become a good thinker is is when you analyze these things. Um, it takes it think it takes practice, I would say, and not enough people do it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Cool, man. Well, um, this has been a, this has been a lot of fun. Um, do you have any any parting words of advice for our audience here? Um, anything you got for for anything that anybody could just go out and do right after they stop listening to this? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's advice I like to give a lot, which is, um, if you work on yourself first, uh, the rest will usually take care of itself. Um, and so, you know, we've been talking about these big, hairy, audacious goals and these kind of, external things right um but it all starts with working on yourself and becoming a better version of yourself and when you're constantly striving to improve yourself whether that's the way you think or the way you act or the things you pursue the people you per surround yourself with uh, the uh, ideals that you align yourself with whatever it may be when you're constantly pursuing the betterment of those things um, the rest of life seems to take care of itself. I like it, man. And that, uh, that motivation, I'm not, I'm not going to bullshit you. I am actually before trivia tonight at seven. I, my buddy is coming in, but I'm going to get my, my high intensity workout in because that's important to me. And then I can reward myself by maybe having a couple beers at trivia. Absolutely. All things in moderation. Another uh, overly used and trite phrase that is true, that is overused because it's true. 
Yeah, all, all things in moderation, even moderation, I've heard. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, so uh, cool, man. Hey, anywhere um, people can find you, your, your title of your book is Guy at the Bar uh, by Adam Griffin. We have our fitness trip, our Body Fit Under 30 Experiences trip, November 5 through 9. That's bodyfit.under30experiences.com, B O D. E-E-F-I-T, where can people uh, read some of the stuff that you've written um, other than on Under30CO where we'll link up uh, a few of your things? Yeah, um, so I uh, mainly, well, I, I mainly contribute to um, other publications, but uh, my own personal site is adamgriff.in, so that is an Indian domain name, but it's A-D-A-M-G-R-I-F-F.in, and um, there I would encourage you to sign up for my uh, Better Than Yesterday uh, email list if, uh, if that's something you're interested in. I send out um, kind of a, a positive message every Monday morning on something to, to kind of ponder and think about for the week. Um, otherwise, I'm most active on Twitter. My handle is at ideas don't work um, and bodyfit.com as well. So would love to connect. Cool, man. Sounds like a plan. And uh, here is to making tomorrow or today better than yesterday. Awesome, Matt. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. All right, pal. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. All right.